Thank you for joining me for Season 2 of The Arena, Living a Courageous Life. Before we get started, I'd like to do a land acknowledgement. The city of Hamilton, where I now make my home, is situated upon the traditional territories of the Erie, Neutral, Huron-Wendat, Haudenosaunee, and Mississaugas. This land is covered by the Dish with One Spoon Wampum Belt Covenant, which is an agreement between the Haudenosaunee and the Anishinaabe to share and care for the resources around the Great Lakes. This land is also covered by the Between the Lakes Purchase of 1792 between the Crown and the Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation. The city of Hamilton is home to many Indigenous peoples from across Turtle Island, also known as North America and I recognize I must do more to learn and acknowledge the rich history of this land so that I can better understand my role as a settler, as well as being a neighbor, partner, and caretaker. I also stand in solidarity with the murdered and missing Indigenous women, girls, transgender, and two-spirited people, and all those that fight for justice on their behalf. Miigwech. Thank you. Welcome to the arena, where sometimes the hardest part is showing up. My name is Linda McLaughlin. Thank you for being here. For season two, I wanted to start with a guest who has accomplished more in the past 15 years than many of us manage in a lifetime. Each time she's about to set out on her next adventure, people tell her it's impossible, but she believes that impossible is just an opinion. Thank you for listening. This is episode 17. Welcome, Diane. Thank you. Uh, It's great to see you. And wow, I I was writing up my little introduction for you and I I couldn't believe (laughs) everything you've been up to in your life. It hasn't been boring. It's me. It's who I am. You've accomplished so many things and I'd love to share with the listeners your philosophy in doing these things and certainly some stories that you might want to share with us. Diane Hache, you're a mother of four children, as well as the grandmother of four grandchildren. You lived most of your life in New Brunswick on the east coast of Canada, and you started a goat farm, knowing nothing about them. You grew the farm to roughly 200 goats and then sold that after 10 years. At the age of 50, you packed everything up and moved to Yellowknife in the Northwest Territories, which is remarkable enough but then you decided to get your class one license, which allows you to drive 18 wheelers. Then you became one of the very few women who did ice road trucking. And you did that for seven winters. You also worked in the mining industry, but not in the front office, as you were quick to point out. You were a heavy equipment operator and you worked both underground and in open pit. At 62, you finished your goal of kayaking the Northwest Passage in the Arctic. The final leg was 500 kilometers paddling from Cambridge Bay to Joe Haven, which took two months. And you did this final leg solo. And recently, which is when I was drawn to your story, you were offered three sea containers full of copper cable. You're stripping the insulation off the copper cable and selling the copper to raise funds for the local women's society. Over the past two years, you've processed 88,000 pounds of copper, the weight of which is about six pickup trucks. And this fall, you donated 
$94,000 to the Yellowknife Women's Society, which just about doubled their annual revenue. Welcome to the arena, Diane. I am honored to speak to you. It's my pleasure. Oh, definitely. I don't know where you want us, me to start. I, we can start by the end with the copper because that's what brought me into your, uh, your thing. Like I, I mentioned to you, it was something giving to the women's society, women's shelter was something that I had wanted to do for a long time. Mm. And that was the greatest opportunity. For some reason, eh, no, nothing comes to me easy. I always take a, the hardest way to, to do something. When, when I was kayaking, be able to raise money would have been easy you know, in some ways. People donate money. But that was, obviously, that was too easy. So when I got that chance to be able to do something and give it to the shelter, I, I jumped on it. And then that's when everything broke loose. Nobody except the people that I work with at the mine, they knew they knew if somebody can do it, Diane can do it. Leave it to her. She'll figure out a way. She'll find uh, how to manage. And I have to admit, it was a real challenge. And yes, I didn't know what I was going into. Uh, I had rumors after that uh, people were after the containers because of the money value of it. And I heard rumors that, the oh, it's just an old lady. She hasn't got a clue what she's going into. In about six weeks, that's going to be for sale dirt cheap. Well, I had news for them. <laughs> Big time. <laughs> I didn't know that at the time. Though. But yeah, it, it was hard. But it was a challenge. And at the end of the day, when you do something and it's for somebody else, uh, it's rewarding. For me, it's rewarding. You're dead tired, but you're tired because you did something physical, not only because it's physical, because it has a meaning for somebody else, mm. not for a company, for a cause. And maybe it goes with my age. I don't know. And nobody understands why, but I love doing it. The first year I got tendonitis in my hands. My hands got to be so sore, I could hardly open a door. But this year I learned how to work better and it's, a, uh, it's all gone. People can't see you because this is a podcast, but you're 65 years old. You look like you're, you look younger than me. <laughs> <laughs> I, feel, I, I feel 40. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, 65 years old. Yeah. Amazing. You were given this opportunity. And as you say, people were sitting on the sidelines waiting for you to fail. I'm curious where this all began. When you were growing up as a child, what was dinner conversation like in your household? What I recall, my dad was a workaholic and my mom took care of us. We, I'm from a family of 10. And to be honest, I never knew my dad because five o'clock in the morning I was gone to work and back at six, had supper and lay on the couch for a nap and then go to bed at nine, 10 o'clock. There was no interaction with my dad. And I missed that. The first five of my family are the boys and then five girls. So I grew up with my brothers. My brothers were my example. With that, I think I always felt that uh, at first I was different from my friends. I never played with the dolls. Okay. It wasn't my things, but at the end I said, dude, I'm the one that's right. They're different. <laughs> so it, that was my growing up and I wouldn't change my childhood 
for anything in the world. There's no regrets at all. Back in those days, that was a way of living. I accepted that, that the father was the provider and the mother stayed at home to raise the kids. Mm-hmm. So it mostly was with my brother were my example where I pick up everything. And what did they teach you? Uh, to hold my ground, to hold my ground and to fight and uh, yeah, come on, you can do it, Diane, come on. And they taught me how to drive tractors and trucks and standards. I was only 10 years old. I was in, in the back of the wheel. Uh, we were on the smaller family farm taking care of all the animals. That was my passion. I, I wanted to become a vet. I went to university for that, but I was not fit to sit in a classroom and listen to I couldn't stand that. I couldn't do it. I, so I quit. But I still did three years of university. My brother, they were welders and uh, millwrights and uh, professional like that. And I tried to follow their footsteps. Moving to Yellowknife, I think that was in the back of my head, I think, doing what they did type of thing. Even if I was 50 years old, age is, is just a number. When I did get here in Yellowknife, uh, the work that I did was always... Uh, with men. There was very few women. The first job after I got my class one, I worked for the biggest trucking company in Yellowknife and they put me in a warehouse. And I was the very first woman to be hired to do that kind of work. It was very, very physical. The first three weeks I came home at night, I said, oh my God, I don't know if I'm going to last, but it was challenging. And there again, I learned uh, six months after that, that he put a bet on me. What idea did they have to hire a woman? And probably my age again, to do that kind of work. She's not going to last. I'll give her a day. I'll give her a, a week, maybe 10 days, but I'll outlast. And then I even got the offer uh, later on to be the manager of the warehouse, which I turned down. But uh, that there again, you know, it was challenging. I always push myself. That's not to impress nobody else but me. I, I compete all the time, but only with myself. It's in me to compete, to, to always go forward. I was born like that. I can explain. Maybe not everybody has that. I don't know. Mm. I don't know. What event in your life has had the most profound impact on you? It's my kids. Nobody ever believed that I had the maternal instinct into me. And my firstborn was unreal. I had two girls and two, uh, two boys. So I'm very blessed. I can see a mama bear in you. Oh, big time. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. But uh, they're good kids. Yeah. <laughs> what does living a courageous life mean to you? It's mean when you can do something that you're afraid of doing, but still do it. Go for it. If you fail, it's not a mistake. You learn from your mistake. It's uh, go and try, at least try. And I got a a life lessons at age uh, 20. Uh, I did two years at University of Moncton, New Brunswick, and then I switched. I went a year at University of Alberta. Uh, Back in Moncton, I focused my energy on the volleyball team. Okay, I got the best valuable player of the team that year. So when I went to Edmonton, I sat in the bleachers and I look at the team that they were asking to join. And I never had the courage to try out the team. That summer, I was totally whack, out of shape. 
And I knew how it hurts to go back. I didn't do anything that summer except to work. So I have some money to go to school. And I sat there and I watched and I watched and I left. And the regrets to this day, I still regret not to have tried. Hmm. That's the biggest mistake of my life, but I learned from it. If something comes up, somebody offer you something, you're not sure, you're afraid, go for it. At least you would have tried. Mm. Not everybody succeed. But if you try, you'll have the satisfaction to have given the best of you. Okay? Mm. So that followed me all my life. All my life after that. Mm. To dare to, to do something. Even if it was out of my comfort zone. I would call that courageous, I think. So in that moment, what stopped you? You said you were out of shape. And what was yeah. it that was stopping you? I think it was the... the if I would have been turned down, it would have been my pride, maybe. Mm. But that's nothing if you try. After that, I've tried a lot of things. I, I failed. In a, I, I never was successful in everything. I failed, but I had the conviction that I tried my best. That's I'm only 5'2". I can know I, I have limits. Everybody has limits. So I've tried to the very end of my limits. You're 5'2", and you played volleyball? Yes, they, yes. <laughs> I was... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I challenged myself. I could jump like a six foot lady. <laughs> I, I was I was thinking, oh, you, she must be like five nine or six feet or something. It's like okay. No, five two. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. They packed some gunpowder in you and they <laughs> <laughs> that's that's great. What impact do you want to leave on the world? Oh boy. With the COVID, you see on TV so many people that get out and do something for other. I'm amazed by that, that of all the, the, the good action being done. So if they can take a, what I'm doing, it doesn't have to be copper. It's going to be any other thing. Little small thing makes a big thing. Mm. So if, if I gave somebody's idea to do, to get out of the comfort zone and do something and to, that brings a smile on somebody else's face at the end of the day. It's so rewarding. Yeah, you can go to bed tired because you work really hard, but when you go to bed tired because you did something for somebody else, it's a, it's a different cup of tea. It's beautiful. I love that. Yes. I, I, I never understood my mom. My mom was uh, almost 80 years old and she did volunteer. She raised 10 kids and she was full of arthritis and she was working for a thrift store. People bring their clothing and they would call her and said, uh, Maria, can you come and give us a hand? We're shorthanded. And she would get up and go. And I used to tell her, mom, why don't you stay here? Your, your arthritis hurts this morning. I said, ah, now nah, I'll go. And then at night she was so tired, but you know, I'm walking in her footstep right now. Mm. I can relate to her so much. I think there's not a day when I'm there that I don't think about her. Like I said, I, I'm from the old school, too. I strongly, strongly believe that the women are the backbone of the family. Women that are abused, they don't believe in themselves no more. But there's always hope for a better tomorrow. They got to learn how to take care of the, their baby. They're the future. And I'm not going to cure that problem by all means. So, but a little bit a little bit can help make the better, a better shelter. And this money is going to be for a social worker to work with them, to teach them that there's hope. All decisions that you make, 
it's going to be your future. That's what I, I come from. That's wonderful. What would you do on your last day? What I would do, spend it with my kids. Mm. Definitely be my kids. I want to go before they go. Oh, my God, yes. Yeah, if they can be all around me and laugh and uh, remind of uh, old stuff, it'd be great. That when I used to tell them that when I, they, they, when I told them that I was going to be on the ice road and I told them if I ever go in a, under, if I go through the ice, my last thoughts is going to be all for you. So you're all going to be with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and my kids. You got me crying now too. <laughs> <laughs> that was, a, yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, it's very, very powerful. It's the most powerful uh, energy ever. You must have had that conversation so many times with them. Driving uh, the ice road, and for, for those that don't know, the ice road is basically in the wintertime when the lakes yeah. freeze over. It allows for a road to be created to transport food and supplies to northern communities. And it's extremely dangerous. It's a pretty tricky life. And they've got these reality shows now, the ice road truckers. And <laughs> so people probably have a little bit more awareness about it. But the number of times your kids must have said, from your kayaking to the ice road trucking, these are things where you're taking your life in your hands. You're someone who's prepared to risk it all to look after your children because obviously it's work and work is hard to, to come by sometimes in the North. Tell me a little bit more about what that conversation looks like. I mean, your, your kids, I'm sure have told you, mom, you're crazy. What are you doing? Yeah, they, that's it. But I, I come up with, idea. Uh, okay, another crazy idea of mom got, what you got in mind next? But I think they came to accept the woman who is their mom. It's she's not only a mom; she's a woman. She's got a life of her own now, and I think they got to, they come to terms with it. But the last leg of my kayaking trip from Cambridge Bay to Joe Haven was extremely painful for my boys. They fought like bears. Not they didn't want me to go at all. They were really scared. I was 62 years old when I finished my kayak trip by myself, and especially the oldest one. I, I don't fight. I don't argue. I told them I was going to go. I said, okay. And, and we never, I, I, I refused to discuss it. And the morning, my plane was leaving at 10 o'clock. I went up and I saw him at seven o'clock in the morning. I said, Samuel, this is the day I'm leaving. I'm going. He said, no, you're not. Oh, you bet you I am. And there was about 20 minutes of really tug of war. Then I said, I'm very sorry. I'll come back. I promise you I'll come back. <laughs> So that was uh, that was him, my oldest son. That uh, he, he, he was too scared for me, I guess. But I, I still win. <laughs> that part of my journey, if I would have not done it, it would have been a failure. To me, it would have been a failure. Even though I've had all the rest done, my goal was to go to there. And if I would have quit, I would have had the same feeling when I didn't show up for that volleyball practice. Mm. So that kept me going. And when I landed in Joeven, I, I cried for half hour. I cried. And you know what? All those years that the, it was over a period of eight years that I planned and I 
look forward to it, it kept me alive. Like you have no idea. And when I landed there, oof, everything, you know, it was sinking in that, wow, it's over. I'm done. And a month after that, as if I aged 10 years after that, not being lost with my, when your, your energy was channeled over that. All through the winter, dreaming and training. I was training for endurance. I trained like there was no tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I said, if I am to save my life, that's going to help if I'm stuck. And then the copper came around. Ah, interesting. That, that gave me a goal. That gave me something to work and to keep me busy and, uh, and a good purpose. Mm-hmm. So it's important. I think it's very important for everybody to uh, to have something, no matter what, anything you want, but do it, do something, or else you live a life, but you have no living. On your kayaking trip, what stood out for you as a, a moment when you thought, okay, that I, I might not come back, this might be the end of me? Uh, to be honest, Lo, there wasn't any moment like that. Uh, there has been situation but I never panic. If you lose control, you're you're dead. So I, I was on the mine rescue team at the at Divic, mm. and that taught me to assess the situation first. Before I cross a 10-kilometer bay, I always looked around, okay, if the wind picks up, what do I do? I, I, I did have some fear, I, no lie, but it's to control your fear that saves you. I came face-to-face with a bear with no gun, with nothing. I was about a foot from we were talking to each other that can smell his breath but like I was scared but I didn't panic I just tried to hold back and the bear walked away (laughs) the bear walked away and I I didn't do anything to chase him away or anything I just let it be because I think he was just as scared as me as I was scared of him I was in my tent and when I opened the zipper my tent he was right there so, yes, I know what fear is all about, but it doesn't stop me. For some reason, I thrive on that. I don't get foggy. I can see clear. Some people won't do that, but me, I think that was an advantage for me. And on stress, when you do have to work on stress, I work better. I don't panic. I work better. So that probably helped me all through the uh, expedition. The first expedition on the McKinsey, I never had a gun. But after that, I had to have a gun. I was uh, at the, towards Tuktuk, that was prime polar bear country. Um, in Joehaven, I, I did it in August. So there was no bears around. I, I ran into grizzlies, but uh, no no polar bears. Yeah, your sons were not going to let you take off no. one more time without a gun. No, no, no. And uh, I got to admit, I felt more secure with a gun too. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Did you oh, have yes, to use had, it? To scare bear, yes, yeah. but not, uh, I, never, I never did any kills, no. Mm-hmm. Stuff happened to me that I cannot explain. I'll give you just one example that to this day still blows me away. Here I am paddling close to shore always as much as possible, and there's a mist in the air for about three days, four days. It's chilly, and it's getting harder and harder to make my fire to eat. And uh, it takes about 20 matches to light up my fire because everything is damp. And I'm 
pulling on the shore because I'm hungry. I pull in there and I said, my God, I should have brought a bottle of fire starter fuel, whatever. I look up on the shore, on the sand. There's a little sticky, just a little piece of red sticking out in the sand. But the color red in the Arctic is unusual unless it's a jerry can. For some reason, I go and I reach it. It's a bottle of fuel ah. for, to light up my fire. It's there. What are the chances in the world that I stop at that particular place and there's a bottle of fuel that was lost maybe from Vancouver or from Newfoundland that the water carried there and digged it in the sand? And I picked it up. You know, there's few things that happen all in the, the traveling that I just can't explain why. Why? My, my son uh, keeps saying that you get a, a, a horseshoe up your ass, mom. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's yeah. looking out for you. No kidding. No kidding. Huh. It's very weird. Is there anything else you'd like to share before we wrap up? There's no bad decision. If you do a mistake, learn from them. It's very much inside of me. Very, very much. And everything that you do in life is a reflection of your thought, is a reflection of what you think. And there's no bad people doing life. I think there's only bad decision. We're all born all the same. And it's only a bad decision people take. When somebody comes around me and said, Diane, it's impossible. You won't be able to do it. Then I, re- I looked at them and said, that's only an opinion that you're telling me. I'm going to try. I'll let, I'll let you know after. And you have uh, a book that's coming out. Yes. I might ask for a, an autographed uh, copy of the book <laughs> for sure. It's supposed to be in August. If everything goes well, it should be out in August in Karaket, and uh, it's going to be in French first and then English. Yeah. Felicitations. <laughs> Thank you so much. That's fantastic. I'm so excited for you. And uh, hopefully we'll be all healthy again. You can do a book tour. Maybe we'll have a cup of tea. You betcha. You betcha. Oh, yeah. It doesn't need a book. If I ever go to Toronto, I'll give you a call. Absolutely. Thank you so much for this. It's been an absolute pleasure and best of luck to you. And maybe they'll do a documentary on you or a movie. I don't know who they're going to find. Somebody five foot two who's like a firecracker, right? (laughs) I think that's been a pleasure talking to you. It's It's a privilege to talk to you. Thank you so much. Merci beaucoup. Thank you. Diane is now trading her kayak for a bicycle. She wants to cycle across Canada. So far... She has pedaled from Saskatoon to Vancouver. And when the pandemic ends, she plans to go from Saskatoon and ending up in Karaket, New Brunswick, where she's from. She's also bought a trailer, which she parked in New Brunswick. And she wants to spend the summers there with her grandkids, showing them their roots and teaching them a little bit about her and themselves. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe, and if you feel someone else might benefit from listening to this episode, please share it. Leave a rating or review wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you want to follow my blog about courage, creativity, and change, or learn more about what else I do, please visit my website, www.lindamclaughlin.com. I look forward to sharing my next guest story. He's a former banker who's now fully embraced a challenge that most people fear, turning public speaking 
and stand-up comedy into a career. Until next time, my name is Linda McLaughlin in The Arena.